0: right momentum welcome to something i am really excited about okay i get to share with you one of my favorite stories in the entire bible okay the passage of scripture we're going to look at today is something that i go back to all the time It's such an applicable story for us as a launch team. I can't wait to share it with you. So what I want you to do right now, I want you to go ahead and get your Bible, your Bible app, whatever it is, go ahead and turn to John chapter four, because that's where we're going to be today. And so while you're getting your Bible ready, your Bible app or whatever, and you're finding John chapter four, I want to remind you of what it is we're doing, okay? We have said that in this year, in 2021, we don't want to simply just reopen Momentum. We want to relaunch. And there are a couple of reasons why we want to do that. And the interesting thing is, is that all of them are located in the story that we're going to be looking at today. But there's a couple of reasons we want to do this. One, there is a gospel opportunity available to us. As we've talked about before, our city is reopening and a lot of people are moving into Chula Vista. And so there's this gospel opportunity for us to share the hope that we have in Jesus with all of these people that are moving in. Number two, we want to reintroduce and refresh Momentum. Like I said, it's been a year. It's been almost an entire year since uh, COVID started. And so we want to simply reintroduce ourselves to our city. And also we want, to, we want to refresh. We want things to be new. We want it to feel good. We don't want it to just feel like we're dragging ourselves back. Third and finally, we want a deeper faith and a tighter bond. And to, to make this easy, that's something that we all understand, no matter how many books you read about riding a bicycle, Sometimes you eventually just have to get on the bicycle and try it out. No matter how many books that you might read or how many studies you might do on playing like basketball, at some point you simply need to get out there on the court and start shooting the basketball. And when you do, you're going to grow closer to the people you're doing that with. I'm all for book reading. I'm all for studying. But I know that there's something that gets unlocked in our faith when we simply, as a church community, go together and start to serve and care for our world together. The conversations that happen, the experiences that are created, the memories that are made draw us closer together. And so as we relaunch Momentum in 2021, we want you to be a part of that. And so we're using this series, On Mission with Jesus, as a way to kind of basically prepare ourselves and train ourselves for the year ahead. And so hopefully by this time you found John chapter 4 in your Bible, your Bible app, and here's what we're going to do. This is something I normally don't do. I normally would if I were if I were giving a normal message I would pick a couple verses, explain them and then we'd kind of build it all around there. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a long story in John chapter 4 because there's so much in it that is directly applicable to each and every one of us. Like this story matters if you're 9 years old. This story matters if you're 99 years old. This story will keep mattering more and more as you go throughout life. It's one of those that you want to keep coming back to. And so what we're going to do today is we're just going to simply read the story. I'm going to share a few thoughts along the way. And at the end, I'm going to tell you, tell us how this applies to us as a launch team. So if you have John chapter four, that's where we're going to be. And to make it, to make it as narratively driven as possible, to make it the story that it is, I'm actually going to be reading this out of the message translation today. Uh, It's one I don't normally use, but I think there's just some stuff in there that gets captured so well that we're going to be looking at it today. So if you're reading it along with me, you're like, His translation seems a little bit different. That's why. Whatever you're using, fine. Keep it good. I just wanted to let you know why I'm doing this. So John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed, although his disciples and not Jesus himself did the actual baptizing. The Pharisees had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to go through Samaria. All right, pause. We're going to stop and just kind of explain the situation, what's going on. All right. At this time, John the Baptist had been gathering some disciples. And he was telling them, hey, guys, I want want to tell you about this new way of life. I want to tell you about this guy that's coming. His name's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's going to be showing us this brand new way of life. He's going to point us back towards God. So John was gathering a group of disciples. Well, then Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts to gather some disciples. Now, John and Jesus were completely cool with each other. John had said in just the previous chapter, in chapter 3, he's like, hey, I understand that my role's got to diminish over time, and Jesus has got to become bigger. Like, my whole job is to basically be the hype man for Jesus. I get the crowds gathered, and then Jesus is the one that does something with them. And John, uh, Jesus had said about John, hey, look, there's, not been, there's been, not been people born on the face of the earth that are as good as John. John is one of the best human beings to ever walk the planet." So Jesus and John themselves were pretty cool, but their followers were starting to have beef with each other. Their followers were starting to like, get a little like, hmm, wait, why is their crowd bigger than our crowd? They were starting to get territorial. They were starting to get a little turfy about stuff. And so Jesus sees this, and he sees this, that it's starting to spill out, and that this group of people, the Pharisees, which were like were the religious leaders of the day, were starting to make note of it and starting to like, turn the people against each other. And Jesus was like, okay, uh-uh, we're not doing that. So Jesus says, okay, I'm going to take my disciples, and we're going to go on a little field trip here. i got some lessons that I need to teach them. If they're going to start getting territorial, if they're going to start having beef with John and his disciples, I want to show them something. And so then in verse 4, if you notice, it says, he had to go through Samaria. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to you and I. But for anyone reading this real time, it would have been like saying, Jesus was with his disciples in Petco Park. And he had to go to Dodger Stadium. Like everyone would have be been like, oh. Or if it would have been almost like saying like, Jesus had to go to Alabama in 1955. Like we hear that and we're like, oh, okay. That, that means something to us. For the people reading this in the day, when, when you hear the words, he had to go to Samaria. You're like, oh, he's going to some place that's not going to like him. That's not going to like the disciples that this is going to be a completely different environment. All right, let's keep going on. So starting back in verse 5. It says, He came into uh, Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. So this town is really old. This well has been there for hundreds of years. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, Would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the nearby village to buy food for lunch. All right, time out. Once again, this doesn't mean a whole lot to us just reading it, but people in the day would have been like, Wait, what's going on? And here's why. One, women and men did not talk to each other unless they were related. They certainly didn't talk to each other if no one was around. Jesus is breaking some pretty big social norms here. Secondly, It's really weird that this woman is showing up at noon to get water back in the day. Here's what you would do every morning. You would go to the local town well or water supply and you would fill up a really big jug of water for all the water needs that you had during the day. So anything like for all your cooking, any type of cleaning, something like that, you would do this in the morning because it was still cool in the morning. If you've ever carried like a a package of water or something like that, you know, water is freaking heavy. It's not an easy thing to carry. So this woman showing up at noon, she's showing up at the hot part of the day. Everyone else in the village would have done this during the morning. So it's kind of odd that she's there in the first place. So anyone reading this story back in the day or listening to the story for the first time would have been like, okay, that's weird. What's going on? So we have this weird situation. Jesus is sitting down by a well. It's noon. He starts talking to someone he probably in in that society shouldn't have been talking to. And she's there at a weird time of the day. Okay, so let's keep going on. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Okay, so not only is this a weird time, not only is there the gender issue, but once again, there's a people group issue here, okay? Jews and Samaritans do not talk. The literal translation of this phrase, uh, wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans, says would not share the same cup, would not share the same utensil basically it was a phrase saying like if you if you guys remember u s history we don't use the same water fountains that's literally what's happening here no no I'm not we're not drinking out of the same supply she doesn't understand what's going on she's a little weirded out by this Jesus verse 10 Jesus answered if you knew the generosity of God and who I am you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water the woman okay now she's she's a little skeptical she's like the woman said, verse eleven, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, the guy who actually dug this well and drank from it, and his sons and his livestock, and passed it down to us? All right, this woman's not a fool. Okay, she's in a she's in a place there's no one else around, and this dude starts asking her like weird, off-putting questions, and she's not going to give him any like She's not going to give him an inch. You know, she's wise to the world. She knows, like, hey, what is this strange man doing asking me these strange questions? I keep thinking about, um, you know that Viola Davis meme where the woman she kind of rolls her eyes, grabs her purse, and then walks off? Like, that's kind of what I'm picturing here where she's kind of like, what's going on? I don't trust you. And so she's asking questions like, wait, you got this crazy living water. You don't even have a cup. What are you talking about? Look how Jesus responds. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water again will get thirsty. Anyone who drinks the water I'm going to give them is never going to thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. Okay, she's still like, whatever. She's like, okay, the woman said, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty. I won't ever have to come back here to this well again. Jesus replies, and this is where the story starts to get really interesting Go, call your husband, and then come back. The woman says, I have no husband. Jesus, that's nicely put, I have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, that's sure enough. Okay, now before we start getting all judgmental on this woman, and we start saying, ooh, five husbands, here's something we have to remember about the time frame. When this was written, in that day and time, women could not file for divorce. Only men could. So when we hear that she's had five husbands, that means in her past, five times, either her husband died, or in probably most of the cases, a man told her, I don't want you anymore. I want you to leave. I want you gone. And now all of a sudden, it makes sense why she's showing up at noon to carry a bunch of water during the hot part of the day. See, this is a woman who has been so abused, so neglected, so rejected repeatedly that she doesn't want anything to do with anyone. She's showing up at the hot part of the day to carry water because she doesn't want to be a part of the little girl's social circle where they're all waiting in line to get water in the morning. She's tired of the stares. She's tired of the whispers. She's tired of the little snickers and the people pointing. She's like, you know what? I'm going to live my life alone because I'm tired of the way I am treated. And so when she sees this, and when Jesus starts telling her, it's like, hey, look, I, I understand your past. She's like, oh, okay, absolutely. Like, this is a little weird. Now, this is the setting. This is the, she's, she's got a reason to be skeptical. So she's got a reason not to trust guys. She's got a reason to be suspicious of Jesus, because in her experience, men lead to problems. Look at how she responds, verses 19 oh so you're a prophet well tell me this our ancestors worshiped god on this mountain but you jews insist that jerusalem is the only place for worship right see she's still not buying it so even though this guy was able to tell her a lot about her life that he should have no business knowing or no way of knowing he's like he's never met her before she's still not interesting she's like okay so clearly you've got some sort of god connection but then she tries to change the conversation be like okay like well look Here's what your people believe. Here's what my people believe. I don't need any of what you're selling. Watch what Jesus does. Verse 21. Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father, neither here at this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You guys are worshiping in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming, and this is important, the time is coming, and in fact, it has come now, when what you're called, aka Samaritan or Jew, will not matter, and where you go to worship, mountain Jerusalem, will not matter. And then he starts to explain to her, this is what life is really about, Twenty-three, verse 23, it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father God is looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before Him in their worship. God is sheer being itself. He's spirit. Those who worship Him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, in adoration. The woman's starting to get interested now, because all of her life she's been someone who couldn't worship properly. She didn't have the right background she didn't have the right pedigree. She didn't go to the right places. She was always an outcast. And here Jesus is saying, look, it's not how well you, it's not how well you conform to outward appearances that matter. It's who you're becoming on the inside. It's who you're letting God transform you to be that really matters. And she's starting to get interested, but she's been around the block too many times. She's seen life too many times. She's still a little bit skeptical. She's still like, ah, I don't know. And so in verse 25, she says that the woman said, I don't know about that I do know that one day the Messiah is coming and when he arrives we'll get the whole story and then Jesus in a moment that I imagine is very tender very loving very empathetic very caring he says I am he you don't have to wait any longer or look any further he's given her a new lease on life he's telling her look I get that life has been hard for you and you're waiting for something better and that something better is here and the good news is is you get to be who you are but transformed you don't have to you don't have to figure out how to explain away your past you don't have to figure out how to get rid of your past it's your story but I'm going to be a part of it and we're going to transform it okay now just at this moment the disciples come back from their little side mission to get uh, to get food for lunch, okay? So the disciples arrived. Verse 27. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of woman. No one said what they were thinking, but their faces all showed it. The woman. Verse 28. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left the water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, Come see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. All right, time out. We got to explain some stuff too. Because this is a little confusing. She goes back to the town and says, Hey guys, there's this guy up here at the well that knows everything I did. Could he be the Messiah? Now, normally, the rest of the town would look at her and be like, Well, yeah, we all know what you did. That's why you avoid us. That's, what we avoid. That's why we avoid you. Like, knowing your past, like, we all know your past. I mean, it's written on the bathroom wall. I mean, that's what we talk about, okay? Like, there was a reason that you avoid us. So what made this time different? She comes and she tells them, hey guys, there's this guy that knows everything I did. Maybe he's the Messiah and they all follow her. Why? It makes no sense. Unless you realize she's completely changed. It's not the fact that she said, hey... My, this guy knows everything I did. It's that she's actually engaging people she was never engaging before, people that she avoided, people that avoided her. They can see that there is something clearly different about this woman. Yes, they know her past, but like it, it seems like, okay, you, you're different. Like there's life in you. You're excited. You're you're bubbling. You're 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 happy again. Like, okay. What's going on? You've met this man who changed your life. It might be the Messiah, the, the person that in this p- time period everyone was waiting for. There, her life was so transformed and different that it made them curious. It made them want to know more. And so they go out to see what's going on. All right. Now, we're taking the camera off of the village and we're going back to Jesus and the disciples. Uh, verse 31. In the meantime, so while that's happening, in the meantime, the disciples pressed him Teacher, eat. Aren't you going to eat? Jesus replied to them, I have food you know nothing about. The disciples were puzzled. Uh, who could have brought him food? Okay, so they're like, wait, Jesus, we went to go get some food. We come back. Did the woman bring you food? What's going on? Like they, they're, they're thinking very literally. And Jesus has to explain to them. Verse, uh, verse 34, he says, Jesus said, The food that keeps me going is to do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work that he started. Jesus is like, hey, guys, do you not understand how awesome this is? Like, yeah, I was hungry, but right now I'm so high on adrenaline. This is such an awesome moment. This woman's life is changing before our very eyes. Uh, Let's keep going. Uh, Let's look. Uh, Let's see. Finishing the work you started. Let's keep reading. As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months time, it'll be time to harvest? Well, Well, I'm telling you, open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. Hey, remember how I had to bring you guys out of where we were because you guys were fighting over who's getting to make the most disciples and who gets to own this part and who gets to own this piece? Well, look around. There's all of these people whose lives are about ready to change, and that is what is fueling me. Uh, verse 36, he uses this like analogy of harvesting, and he says, The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay, gathering in the grain that's ripe for eternal life. Now the sower is arm in arm with the harvester, triumphant. That's the truth of the saying, one person sows and another person harvests. I sent you to harvest a field you've never worked. Without lifting a finger, you've walked in on a field worked long and hard by others. Translation Jesus is telling them, we're about to experience a lot of people's lives changed, and you guys didn't do much to make it happen. God's been at work in their lives for years preparing them. And now we're going to get to be the ones that come and see some real life change happen. And you guys weren't even aware that this place was even on the map. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to Jesus because of the woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did. He knows me inside and out. They asked Jesus to stay, and so he stayed with them for another two days. A lot more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves. We know it for sure. He is the Savior of the world. End of story. The credits roll. All right. Now, what does this have to do with us as a launch team? So much. There are so many things here that apply to this. First, let's just go back to the beginning of the story. Uh, When Jesus had to grab his disciples and move to a new part of town because uh, they were beefing with John's disciples and stuff like that. Okay, here's the first thing that I want us to, to kind of grasp as a launch team. Number one, the world is big and it needs all of us engaging. Samaria still exists today. I mean, yes, the actual physical place exists, but here in Chula Vista, there are places that are begging for Jesus' people to show up. There are people that are hurting right now that are desperately in need of the hope that we have. And we all need to be engaging in seeing those lives change. Now, as we relaunch, there's a couple dangers around this that I just want to kind of point out because it's, it's something that's very easy to do. One, the first danger I think about is that if we're not careful, we can start like looking around to see what other churches are doing instead of focusing on what God has for us. Like John's disciples started looking over at Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples were looking over at John's disciples. And no one had their eye on the people that were hurting around them. And as we relaunch and reopen, one danger that we have to avoid is being like, well, what's that church over there doing? I don't know. They're doing whatever God asked them to do. Well, you know, my cousin's church is doing blank. Yeah, that's cool, whatever. You know, good for them. That's what God's asking them to do. What is God asking us to do? The second danger I think about is that if we're not careful, it's going to be very easy to just assume that the professionals are taking care of everything. It's going to be easy to assume, well, John's doing his thing. Jesus is doing his thing and not realizing, no, there's work for us to do. Or to translate this right now, well, I'm sure the, the staff's got that all taken care of, and I, I don't really need to participate. I'm sure those, those really super-duper volunteer Christians are taking care of things. I don't need to do this. And no, like I, I think about what Jesus said, the harvest is here. It is plentiful. All of us are going to be needed. All of us are going to have opportunities. And if we're going to really relaunch and see lives change, transform here in Chula Vista, it's going to take all of us participating. The third thing that I think, the third danger I want to warn us about in all of this is that it could be very easy, because right now everything's still at the dream stage. We're still thinking about what the future looks like. We're still thinking about what it's going to be like here in four months, eight months, a year, two years, five years. And it's very easy in our our imagining to be like, and everyone's going to look just like me. Jesus had to take the disciples out of Judea, take them to Samaria, because he's like, look, the kingdom of God is going to be made up of all kinds of people with all kinds of backgrounds, and it's going to get messy. They're not all going to look like us. They're not all going to think like us. They're going to have different stories, different pasts, different interests, and that's a really good thing. So one of the things that we're going to have to do to be, uh, as we go forward as a launch team is we're going to have to get comfortable with it being like, man, there's a lot of different people here. And they got a lot of different stories and they don't all look, act, and think just like me. And that's the beauty of the kingdom because in Jesus, everyone is loved. Everyone is accepted. And we know that at a head level, we're gonna have to practice it at a heart level and in our actions. The second thing I wanna make sure that we're gathering um, as as a launch team, Jesus transforms our stories. This is the beauty of what we're doing. This is the beauty of what we're all about. And you look at the story of the Samaritan woman. Her story does not change. Jesus doesn't go back and magically erase her past. But he does transform it. And something that had been a source of shame, something that had been a source of hurt, something that had been a source of pain for her, Jesus steps into and redeems it and heals it and gives it purpose. Now, I don't want to like magic wand this and pretend that, you know, this woman probably still had a lot of hard days ahead. She probably still had a lot of painful moments ahead, but she had hope and she had a vision for her future. And she had something that was worth living for once again. And so for some of us on the launch team and for some of you guys that are watching this today, you might be thinking your story is so bad. Your story is so far gone that there can't ever be any type of redemption. And just let me tell you today, redemption is what Jesus does. Redemption is what the church is all about. No matter your story, when Jesus enters into it, it is transformed. And then this leads to the very next thing I want to say. And our stories can set others free what changed for that whole village let's take a look again john chapter 4 verse 39 L- look at this verse many of the samaritans from that town believed in jesus because of the woman's testimony he told me everything i ever did when the woman went to her back to her village and said guys guys my life is different people saw her and because of her change were curious about jesus this is the, this, the guys this is some of the secret sauce we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to know like when were the dinosaurs and what order did the creation happen and was it seven days or was that like figuratively or poetically or was it seven like, like we don't have to have those answers. What we have to have our lives have been transformed by Jesus. And this goes back to it too. Like I, I'll talk to so many people and they're like, I don't know enough or, or, or I don't think like I actually have anything that I can share with people. I like, you have your story. Remember when a couple minutes ago when I said we're going to have to get used to people lo- not looking like us or thinking like us, but they're still a part of us? One of the things that I've talked about with people before, and one of the things that I shoot, I, I feel this a lot myself, is I'll look at my own life and be like, I'm not sure I have that much in common with a lot of people. Like, for example, uh, what are some of the most important things to me uh, you know, outside of my, you know, my family or something like that? Like um, I love the Sacramento Kings. Shoot, I'm wearing a hoodie right now. I love the Sacramento Kings. Not a lot of Kings fans in San Diego. Not a lot of uh, Kings fans outside of Sacramento period. But okay, I like the Sacramento Kings. Um, I love reading. One of my favorite books ever is uh, an account of them building the Brooklyn Bridge. The book's called The uh, Great Bridge. Not a lot of people really like reading historical nonfiction about the building of bridges. Um, I love Star Wars. Let's see, what else? Um, Okay, we'll we'll just say, oh, I love theater. So for anyone that's a Hamilton fan, a Star Wars fan, a Sacramento Kings fan, and likes reading historical nonfiction, I can have a really good conversation. But there's not a lot of people like that. And so if I'm not careful, I get worried like, oh, I can't, I can't reach people for Jesus. I can't, because we don't have anything in common. But what does is, what is the woman use in this story? She uses the pain she's been in to build a bridge with the town. All of us have painful stories. All of us have moments where we're like, "Ugh!" now there might not be a whole lot of like Hamilton loving Sacramento King fiction reading people in this city, but let's talk about some of the things in my past. Like, okay, got my girlfriend pregnant in college. Uh, One time I was so poor, like that we were scraping together. We were going through the um, we were going through the couch looking for quarters and change so we could buy diapers. Uh, there was the time that both of our cars were broke down and we desperately needed some sort of transportation to get to school and work. Now, I can build a bridge with that because I know a lot of people whose past they're like, man, oh, there was the time in college when I lost all my scholarships and got put on academic probation. And so, yeah, like you want to talk about doing really dumb things in your early 20s? I can share some stories about doing really dumb things in my early 20s. And that's going to connect with people a lot better then, ooh, do we, help in the, do we happen to have the same interest? If you have that same interest, cool, that's awesome, that's good, run with it. But for so many of us, the very things that we're like, ooh, are the very things that God wants to use for us to build a bridge with someone else. I love what Christine Kane says about this. She said, God is able to take the mess of our past and turn it into a message. He takes the trials and tests and turns them into a testimony. You might not have everything in common with your neighbor, You might not have everything in common with someone you work with, but I guarantee you, you both have painful moments. And when people see that, and when you're able to freely share like, yeah, this is what my life was like. But then Jesus, or this is how Jesus is currently transforming some area of my life. That connects with people. Because the the thing that most people outside of church are afraid of is that they're not going like they're not gonna measure up or they're gonna be rejected or they're gonna be told they're not good enough or they're not gonna be accepted or they're gonna be judged, you know. That's a very, very common fear. And when people of the church lead with, oh yeah, I'm jacked up too. Oh yeah, I've done some stupid things too. Oh yeah, I'm still figuring, I'm still paying off the debt of blank. Because the thing is, is that Jesus is for everyone. Not just the good, not just the holy, not just those that can follow all the rules all the time. Jesus is for everyone. Now, here's something else I want to share with you. Our job is simply to introduce people to Jesus. Look what happens in in the story. John chapter 4, verse 42. This is the town talking to the woman. They said to the woman, hey, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now that we've seen, now that we've heard it for ourselves, we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. We introduce people to Jesus. We say, This is what Jesus has done for me. And then we let Jesus take it from there. I mean, yeah, we're still available. We still ask, you know, we still walk beside people. But we don't take the responsibility of transforming them. That's only something Jesus can do. It's awful. We're like, we're off the hook for that. We share our stories. We love people well. We let Jesus do the rest. And here's what I want to end with, guys. Here's, what, here's how I want to wrap this up. I think so many of us are leaving joy on the table. Far too many of us are leaving copious amounts of joy on the table. Do you remember back in that story when the disciples returned? And they're like, hey, Jesus, you should probably eat something. You know, we, we bought this food. You should eat some of it. And Jesus is like, guys, <laughs> I'm already full. And he's like, and they're like, what? And he's like, guys, do you understand how satisfying it is to see lives changed? Do you understand how awesome it is to work hard? seeing someone come to Jesus and then then it actually happens. For so many of us, I think we've missed out on the fact that this is what we were created for. We were created to be a part of God's kingdom. We were created to see lives changed. We were created to see the joy that comes in when someone who had no hope finds hope this is what it's all about and yes it's hard work Jesus even says guys it's like planting a crop and then harvesting it you got to do a lot of work and sometimes the people that first plant aren't the ones that harvest sometimes the people who harvest aren't the ones that actually planted but guys this is what it's all about and so many of us are looking for meaning and purpose in everything else and it's not delivering like we thought it would and it's not satisfying like we thought it would and Jesus is saying guys 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 it's possible purpose meaning joy it's real and anyone can have it but it's found in me and it's found in living a life where you're seeing others come to me so yes it's hard to continually invite your neighbor over for dinner and yes it's hard to continually like be like i don't know if this conversation is going anywhere and yes it's hard to always be the generous person in your work environment when everyone else is stingy i get it it's hard it's hard it's hard But nothing satisfies like seeing a friend or seeing a neighbor or seeing someone you've cared about for years finally have their heart break open and be like, oh, I get it. There is hope. And as a launch team, that's what we want to be about. And that's what I want to challenge you guys to do. Look at your story. Take your story. Let Jesus redeem your story. And then let's go share those stories with the hurt, broken world that desperately needs what only can be found in Jesus. Love you guys, and we'll see you next time.